Well, hello, everyone. It is your host, uh, Garrett Marigut. I am super excited to be joined today by Hannah Jockover from the director of demand gen at Mad Kudu. Mad Kudu. I think Mad I got that right. Kudu. Yeah, Mad Kudu. Thanks for joining us today, Hannah. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I was taking a look at the platform and I love some of the stuff you all are doing, like fast. Uh, like fast lane for certain website visitors. Mm-hmm. What's the, I know for a lot of us, right? We're trying to use drift and chat bots and things like that. What are some of the things that we can do better to try to get those ideal accounts activated from our website? Is there a piece there that we could all be doing differently? Like with how we're approaching chat and getting people like almost like marketing being like sales development, right? Like where we're actually targeting people and talking to them actively with chat is there a way we can be doing that better Uh oh i lost her no honey no lucy we're frozen This is a tough one. Let's see. Hey, Ryan, you want to have her add herself back? Hey, everybody. So we're going to be talking about <laughs> demand generation and more. Uh, just give us a sec. We lost a good soldier. I know. I'm going to have to eat my own sour candy the entire time. That is... I'm going to be alone eating my sour candy. So, yes, thank you, Shanti. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Which one should we do today, team? We got warheads or we have toxic waste. I have an untoxic waste. Oh, my gosh. It's a mystery flavor, too. If we lose Hana forever, we're just going to talk about lead scoring today. No, I don't have anyone to ask questions to. So, hopefully, she comes back in a second. Yes. This is, I'm just on camera. I'm getting bullied by the chat. Oh, so, so sour. So, haven't had this happen yet. Oh, man. Oh, okay. I did it. Are you guys happy? I'm dying over here. I've been avoiding this toxic waste. I've just been doing warheads lately. I can't believe I came up with this because I hate sour candy. And now I do a show just with sour candy. All right. Well, we're not dropping on our viewers right now, which is interesting. Apparently, no one really cares about what I say. Oh, wait. We're back. Goodness, what an awful time for my internet to go out. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on my phone. You're all good. Our viewers didn't drop at all. I'm realizing it's just because they don't 
I don't know. I think we're just you know, like the, like the Twitch live stream. Like I, I started getting into Twitch because I wanted to kind of see what that whole world was like. I think people just uh-huh. like live streams. But we are I back. So, on are you okay? Are we ready? Are we good? Yeah, I'm just hoping my video or my video doesn't freeze anymore. So let me know if I start getting chopped. <laughs> You're all good. So I have this question around lead scoring. We are trying to come up with a balance of how much is based on actions that people take, how much is based on their firmographics, and then how we balance that. Um, what's been your experience on setting up lead scoring? Like, Yeah, yeah. So I have always looked at it in different categories. We look at um, demographic and firmographic as well as um behavioral so those are kind of one category behavioral and then also we consider custom qualifications so thinking about you know i'll start with custom qualification because most people are like well what does that mean um that's really thinking about prospect and your business unique like what is absolutely required for you uh, for them uh, and you to have a partnership together so thinking about your core icp um, specific technologies that you have to have in order to integrate you know with that offering a certain amount of website leads or visits things like that would be really unique in terms of custom qualification Um, and then looking at behavioral a lot of people forget about behavioral and it's really important because it tells who's engaging um, and who's actually really active. And then firmographic and demographic is really like, who are you? Do you meet our ICP? Uh, and then you can layer in some intent data too and some third party information into those areas too. No, I love that. Now, when you talk about intent, what's been your experience with intent data in the sense that like when I've tried to use like Bombora surge data or things like that, I found it to be frankly pretty wildly inaccurate and not necessarily indicative of intent despite mm-hmm. everybody acting like like everybody says they has intent data until you like give it to an SDR team and I can almost guarantee you the SDR team is going to be like yeah they were not looking for us so yeah well, how do we blend that reality right like the real truth of like I've tried it for years I send stuff to my SDR team and they're like no no nothing here so like how do you know what I'm saying like we love it yeah. as markers it makes us feel good but our SDR team might not love it. Is there any, Is there, am I doing it wrong? Is there a different way? How do we, how do we use intent data? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more, you know, people get really excited about intent data. And I think we need to understand like, well, what, what is the data that is important? So not just like, wow, they're interested in reading articles about content marketing or predictive lead scoring, but is their organization in a space where they're going to be looking for that type of technology. So an example would be um, the, like the Mad Kudu tool uses predict leads where they're scraping the entire internet and they're looking at companies that are um, hiring for a certain role. So for example, mm-hmm. if they're hiring for a director of demand gen, then we know that they could be eligible or in the market for that, you know, type of SaaS offering that we provide. Hmm. I like that. And so what you're saying is there's a trigger moment associated with hiring that we know, like, for example, my business, we target directors of demand gen. And we find out very often that within 90 days of someone getting a job, they're usually trying to make a splash and they'll bring in another agency. And so we've seen that trend. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying essentially is, 
figure out what that trigger is in your industry. And if it's a job post and you know that, you know, if someone's hiring a new director of demand gen, that their tech stack related to demand gen is up for grabs. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it definitely shows some intent around, okay, there's budget there. Um, they're in the space where they're looking to ramp up this specific area. And you could look at it through the lens of like different go-to-market motions too. So thinking about like an inbound, uh, an ABM or a product-led motion. I like that. Now, it is sour and sass. Are you ready, Hannah? I am ready. Although I have to, since I'm on my phone, I have to kind of make some adjustments here. Okay, okay. So bear with me. No, you're multitasking. That's incredibly important. Now, let me see. <laughs> I've got the toxic waste. Which one you got over here? I'm I'm nervous for the... Uh... I'm going to have to eat candy alone again. <laughs> okay, so the toxic waste... Is that the one that we're doing? Oh, yeah. We're doing the toxic waste. I'm doing a. What is, these flavors are interesting. Mine's apple. Watermelon. Yeah, watermelon. Okay, I'm allergic to watermelon. Just as a side note, are you ready? All right, go time. Hopefully now, again. oh, you kind of are. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so sour. Did you try yours yet, Hannah, or am I over here alone? I'm actually doing okay. Okay, dang. Now, since you're working in this like marketing ops world, it's kind of this conjoinment, right, of like sales development, marketing, and AEs. What have you found that SDRs really want out of marketing, and especially with lead scoring? Like, what can we do different as marketers that we're kind of getting wrong when we're sending leads to people? Like, when we think they're good, like, what is it when we think they're good and they think they're bad? Like, what's the common things you're seeing there? Yeah. Oh, man, there's a lot to say there. Okay. Um, I think it's... Uh, if we're sending leads that we, we as in marketing, if we're sending leads that we think are good, we need to provide the reasoning. So a lot of times we're just throwing things over the fence saying, here you go. But we're not yeah. getting, giving them enough information around why those leads are good. Mm. And then another thing I think we're, we need to do a better job of is, ooh, <laughs> okay, it got me. Um, no, sending leads that actually are good. So separating the the bad leads from the good leads and making that journey very distinct um, and different for each one. Because a lot of the times with our lead scoring, like it's really just built off of opinions and what we yeah, think yeah. is our ICP and what we think is a good lead, which is why I love Mad Cootie because it takes out, it's not subjective. Like it's really just based on historical data and conversion rates. And we're actually able to say, no, this is a good lead and it's based on data. Hmm. So I think the SDRs are wanting to see a real, real good leads 
And also they want the information around why they are a good lead. Yeah. No, I think the other thing too, Hannah, that I'm, I think is interesting is I think one of the reasons we struggle with this as marketers and alignment, especially with sales and finance, is our goals are sometimes fake. In other words, like a lot of the demand gen managers we work with have an MQL goal. And so they're so worried about hitting their MQL goal, which is traditionally volume based because it's near the top of the funnel, that it creates a misalignment, right, between what's going from MQL to SQL and with the sales development org. Is there maybe a way that marketing teams can get wiser about how they set their own internal goals so there's more alignment so that, you know, like a marketing goal is aligned with the sales development goal, which is aligned with an AE goal so that the team's working together? I'm back. <laughs> oh, look at that. Sorry, you were choppy on my phone. So can you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I believe that one of the reasons why marketers have the reputation or the consistency of sending poor leads to sales development and then SDRs who struggle to get good leads to AEs, right, because it's kind of a trickle-down thing, is because mm -hmm. we each have our own goals. And they're traditionally volume-based. So marketing has an MQL goal. they got to hit that goal. And then they hit that goal and they're like, woo, we hit our MQL goal, right? But then half of them are bad and the SDRs know that, but they have to hit their SQL goal. So then they send half of them that are bad and then the AEs are like, what the hell is going on here? Like, why do I keep getting these bad leads? Is mm -hmm. there a better way for us to do goal setting internally so that we avoid that kind of conundrum? What, what's been your experience there? Yeah, I think that it it ultimately comes down to being on the same page when it comes to definitions. You know, what is an MQL and how did we get to that definition? As well as what are the service level agreements attached to that? So like when I say that I have an MQL, we all agree on the definition, then I know these three things are going to happen right after that. And if there's a discrepancy there where it says, hey, like we had this goal in place that we all agreed on and this doesn't really meet that criteria, um, you know, that's when there's also pathways back to have those conversations. But I think it is more so about like uh, creating these goals together and changing the perspective around what what is the end game because the end game should always be more sales wins like i'm sorry marketing but sales yep. wins are what's important and revenue yep. coming from that so you can have mqls i keep hearing like oh the mql is dead the mql is not dead um yep. the mql definition and the weight that we put on the mql has changed for sure uh so i think it's about like what is your mql criteria and even a level up above that, like, what are you counting as like leads? So for me at Madkudu, we, we look at leads, but more importantly, and one of our North stars is qualified leads. So we're only thinking about that group of leads that comes in that, that actually has the potential to become good MQLs, not just, you know, a low fit hand raiser. So we actually don't even MQL people that are low fit and raise their hand for a demo. They still get sequenced and and they go to outreach and they have an opportunity to have a demo and whatnot but it's definitely um you know you, we're prioritizing the leads that are a good fit now that, that makes perfect sense by the way now you're gonna have stages correct in your funnel you have steps and are mm -hmm. you tracking those steps on so between each of your stages yep 
What's been your biggest tip then to get people from each stage? Like what have you found helps plug the gap? Is it calendar reminders? Is it text messages? Is it video? Is there any tactic you've seen that does a really good job of getting someone from each stage of the funnel or from each department to the next? And then from within that department to stages within that department, like what have you seen been the most success to maximize the efficiency of our pipeline? Right? Like I've mm-hmm. found when we scaled MQLs, we didn't scale SQLs because we had so much leakage. Like how can we avoid leakage and things like that? What have you found in your career? Just focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think service level agreements for sure can help manage that handoff and make okay. sure that, you know, things are happening, things are moving and even just, you know, there's a strategy behind lead management, right? Like it's not just something you turn on and it happens. Like you have to map out what it looks like. And, and when I uh, would run lead management workshops at the end of it, we would build what that schematic looks like. So you could see every single um, way that a lead could end up either at the end of the funnel in the middle of the funnel, dropping out of the funnel. And at each step you saw, okay, there's a red flag here, which means that there's an action that needs to be taken. And we're going to tie some accountability to that action by sending an alert, uh, an email alert. And um, salespeople don't always like this one, but, you know, copying decision makers and uh, key stakeholders on those alerts. So, you know, if we all agreed to it, it shouldn't be a problem to have everybody involved in that communication. So if I hear what you're saying is first we need an SLA that says this is what we're agreeing to to do for each stage, right? Marketing is agreeing that we're going to send you this and then sales is agreeing they're going to take that and do this with it. And then what you're saying though is if we do that in private, sometimes people don't listen. So maybe we need to do some upward visibility to maybe let Mm -hmm. this CRO or VP know essentially what's going on. Is that kind of what you're saying? So that we kind of maintain the consistency of that. Like the SLA is actually – we're held accountable to held accountable to. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, like, just get friendly with your sales team. It's, yeah. it's funny because there's been such a division between marketing and sales. And it's like, I love working with sales. It's they're your best friends. They should be your best friends. Yeah. Um, you should be doing creative things together. You should be listening to sales calls. You should be doing everything you can to, you know, increase sales wins and be best friends with sales because at the end of the day, that's what's going to get to that shared goal. I love that. So when we have a goal like that, what are some practical ways you've used to kind of build that rapport? And like, I agree, right? Like I think directive has a really good situation, at least internally with marketing and sales, but that's not usually the case with our clients. For Mm -hmm. example, like they're very separate departments with, even though they're entirely codependent on each other. So how do we go from like this separation to codependence and then, God forbid joy. Like what are some of the ways you've like done that practically? Any tactics for people that they could try? Yeah. I mean, the very easiest way to start is just by having a conversation and make that recurring. So it's easier for go to market teams because you're really kind of like one function, but um, for teams that are not in that, in that uh, go to market motion, really, it's more about let's just have this biweekly, monthly, whatever it is, conversation where we review you know, let's check out our service level agreements. Let's check out our KPIs. And if there are any red flags, let's talk about those. And let's let's get some feedback from how the conversations are actually going. So then you can tailor 
you know, what needs to happen on the marketing campaign side, but also make tweaks to your lead scoring, to lead management. None of this should be stagnant. Okay, now, and that makes perfect sense. Now, on the SLAs, I might be a bit of an amateur. So can you explain to me how, like, what a good SLA is and why they're important? Yeah, so say you have an MQL. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, and that MQL gets passed to sales. A good uh, service level agreement there would be uh, say, okay, we're passing this lead over. Here's the information, not just here it is, but here's the information. Here's a little bit about the, the lead itself and why we feel like it's a good fit. And the SLA might be, you know, there's 24 business hours um, on a business day where that SDR or AE needs to then reach out. Uh, manually to that lead. And then also, because tracking is important, we're going to change the status. Uh, we might add some notes on the activity field. We might need to, you know, update lead source values and things like that. So it's important to think about the operational pieces too, not just the handoff of like, here you go. You also have to think about tracking and your systems and how those things are talking together. So I know that when uh, Hayden, uh, our account executive is reaching out to a lead and that I passed over, he's going to change that lead status. So when that lead status changes, I then on my side in HubSpot can see that that's happening. And I have a bunch of workflows and lists in place that then remove that individual or include that individual in certain things. So I love that, Hannah. And what's interesting, and I would love to get your insights here is, Let's just say it's not true about Hayden, but let's say Hayden's a top performer who thinks they know better than you and they just want to close deals and they think you're a nuisance. <laughs> not that this would ever happen, but let's say it did. Um, do For this to ever be effective culturally, do you have to let Hayden go even they're, though they're a top performer if they're not following the SLAs? Like, because what I've seen is a lot of organizations kind of just crumble here because their top performers don't think they're better than the SLAs and they kind of just do whatever they want. And then the SLAs mm -hmm. become obsolete. Is there a way to deal with that internally? Like what's been your experience there? Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's usually a reason somebody goes rogue um, and you can figure it out. Like there's reasons for everything. And I think um, working with marketing ops professionals has really shown me that and, and given me the, uh, encouragement to like always find the reason because things don't just break. Um, so I would say like, it, don't let them go, but understand the context, like what's going on, you know, have a sit down, have a discussion. Um, I think we also forget about empathy sometimes and, and really trying to understand like what's going through, like what's frustrating you about this process. Let's pinpoint that issue. Let's figure it out together and then let's make the necessary changes because it really doesn't have to be that hard. But I think yeah. that there's this traditional, um, you know, culture on, on the sales side and like the division between marketing and sales where it's like we feel like we have to butt heads because that's what's been told about yeah. how sales and marketing have worked in the past. But it's not true. No, I love that. And that's that's like, yeah, no, that's so. Oh, geez. Look at them. They're trying to make us do some more sour over here. I did a lot on my own, guys. I'm losing all, like, taste in my tongue. All right, we're going to do one more. We're going to okay. go to Toxic Waste. Are you ready? Another. I still have my other one. Oh, you do? <laughs> what flavor are you doing? 
I'm allergic to watermelon, so I'm avoiding that one. Apple scares me. Black cherry? I think that's going to be disgusting. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I'll join you. Now, I have this, like, curiosity because you were once on the good side with us in the agency world, and you went to the dark side of in-house, okay? Now, that's obviously – oh, my gosh. See, this thing, in-house knows how to get wrappers off. So, one second. Um <laughs> Oh, so sour every time the mm. what do we need to know about working with in-house teams that you didn't know or just had completely freaking wrong when you were on the agency side like what was your biggest like eye-opening aha moment going from like helping people run marketing ops to running your own marketing ops internally like what was that like craziness that you didn't that like maybe we're blind to on the agency side well, that's a good question because I don't, I don't know that it. What I, I mean, I'm I'm only like a, a month and a half in, so I'm sure there will always be new learnings to be had. But I would say that the way that our agencies, um, ooh, this one's really sour. No, really sour. Hmm. I think the key is to just suck as fast as possible. <laughs> no, I'm getting tears. This one's so sour. Um. Okay. Reset. So I think that um, uh, the way that a good agency should operate is you should be a part of that team. You should be, you know, an extension of the marketing team. And because of that, you should be able to kind of see the ins and outs of how things are working at the organization. The one thing I will say, um, I mean, I was very picky about where I was going to go in-house. So um, I think that, I, and I was, I'm grateful to be able to have been picky about that. Um, but I think one thing you do see is that, you know, when you're on the agency side, you're only looking at a piece of the puzzle. There are so many other things going on that you don't have access to, you don't have visibility to. So I think for a lot of people moving in you know from agency to in-house they're gonna see the the number of or the amount of red tape that there is and the hoops that you have to jump through to get something done i think it's a little bit different when you're in a startup um as as part of a go-to-market team because you have the ability to move quickly um, and do lots of iterations on things but for larger organizations you're gonna see um a structure that is a little bit harder to navigate and getting things out the door, getting things approved, getting things created. So I think that that's probably the biggest kind of gotcha in moving from agency to in-house that you don't really see a lot of what's going on. Okay. Now, is there a way for us to see that better? Like, if you're knowing that, like on the agency side, is there a better way to get a better understanding of the other pieces? So when you make Mm -hmm. a recommendation for your piece, it fits, right? Because a lot of times we see things on the outside, right? And we're like, how can they not fix this? This is, Jim, this is so important, right? Because we only see mm-hmm. that one piece. What can agencies do better to see more pieces in your mind so that their yeah. recommendations fit, you know? I think one of the number one things that I saw success in uh, was having a better kickoff call um, and even having a better discovery call and making sure you have the right people. Because you can get so much information up front around the problems that they're trying to solve, what's going on currently, 
if you're asking the right questions and you have that process in place. So a lot of the times you say, oh, awesome, this project sounds great, we're gonna kick off and focus only on this one project. When we kicked off with clients, we zoomed out and we said, what are your goals as a company? Like, what direction are you heading? What's your revenue goal? Like, what does this split look like? What, do you, what are you doing today? And then how does this project fit into that? So yeah. we could really work to make sure that we're not just delivering, but we're delivering in a sense that is going to span beyond just the project. It's going to align with the organization's full goals. And the other thing I would say about that, too, is um, build relationships. You know, if, if I, I had the opportunity to work with um, our friends at SAP Concur when I was at Spear Marketing, and that's a big company. There are a lot of different groups in that company, and they all work independently, but also kind of have times where they align on certain goals. So I got in there, and I just started building relationships with everybody and anybody that I could to see, you know, who, who we could help, how we could help them, and get insight into, you know, where the organization is going as a whole, as a whole, and how the teams are working together. Yeah, no, I love that, and I think I have this saying that I say rapport building is more important than report building. And I think that's mm -hmm. exactly what you're communicating. And I found the same thing with like sales and marketing, alignment, lead scoring, SLAs, is that if you keep going back to the paper, look what it says on the paper, look, you know, is less impactful than listening and saying, how are you feeling about this? What can I do different? And then yeah. creating that rapport um, to then create change. So I, I love where your head's at. Um, in closing, what's your big prediction Moving forward, you know, when you say the MQL is not dead and lead scoring and lead handoff and marketing teams, where, where do you see marketing and sales alignment going? Do you see us going to shared goals? Do you see us becoming more isolated on our goals? Kind of where, where do you see the future at and how can we future proof ourselves as we're going into our next, you know, QBR season or, you know, planning season? How, how can we try to reset so that we're future proof with sales and marketing alignment? Yeah, I, I definitely think shared goals is is definitely something that's trending and people are starting to explore. Um, I also think that this is the year of people kind of doing like a, a, a data audit and a tech audit and, and really looking at what they've got going on. I mean, we all know that like technology waste is out, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So I think there's a big role to play for marketing operations and, and revenue operations to kind of bring all of that together and make some decisions there. And I think in terms of sales and marketing, it's how can we harness this data? How can we build a better relationship with each other to make this journey better for our potential customers and easier for us to achieve our larger goal? So whether that's you know saying, hey, we have all this data about these leads and we can then say, we're not gonna send sales these leads um, or we're gonna automate this, you know, we're gonna have an automated yeah. SDR sequence. So you're just, by using the data and by organizing it and, and thinking about how we can thoughtfully leverage it in both the relationship with the prospect and the relationship with each other, I think is gonna do, you know, us so much good in, in the long run. No, I totally agree. And I think that's like what Mad Kudu is doing, right? That's different in the sense that you have these old school Marketos and Pardots and HubSpots to a certain extent that are databases more than like 
CDPs. Like they're not mm. necessarily like hubs of information that are fully integrated. They're still somewhat legacy. And I completely agree that in the future and the top performing marketing teams right now are connecting all their different data sources, creating rules and instructions with conditional logic, and then mm -hmm. leveraging everything from a central spot. Um, and I definitely do believe that's the future. So, but uh, thank you so much for hopping on with us today, Hannah. And uh, if people want to follow along with your journey, how can they do so? Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, and I'm pretty noisy on LinkedIn, and I, I'm noisier on Instagram, so I won't share that, but but yeah, you can follow me there. It, do you have time for a little joke? Yeah, I will. are you kidding me? There's always time okay. for a joke. What do you got? It's not my joke. I didn't write this joke, but I wanted to share it. How many marketers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Two. Not too many, but they outsourced it. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hana. Mic drop. Uh, that was awesome. Thanks for being on Sour and Sass. And that's our show, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.